I asked our, our worship team if they would do that song again, known, um, because it's, it's, it's got a great message. Uh, Timothy Keller, and I found this quote in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, um, he writes, To be loved, but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And, you know, that's, it, it is, that is how God loves us. He knows us fully and, and still loves us um, completely in spite of our mess. Um, and that's, uh, that's the kind of, uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, that's who we want to be. That's what we want this church to be. A place where truth can be spoken. Even the hard truths, the uncomfortable truths can be spoken because that's what we need but to be given so much grace that it almost seems ridiculous in the eyes of the world. They're like, how can you give this person so much grace? That's who we are meant to be. That's what we want to be. I asked them to sing this song this week because um, as we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus, we're going to go through a lot of Jesus, and he's making applications with the law. And he's going to sit there and say, it's like, look, here's the rule that you got, but here's really God's standard. And so all throughout, we're going to cover so much today, but, but at every point, every one of you at some point in, this, in, the, in the midst of what Jesus teaches, every one of you in this room ought to have something where you're like, wow, I have missed that and I've missed it badly. And it's going to be a hard truth. It's not going to feel good. But I want you to know that God loves you. He knows you. And that you're in a place where we want to give out so much grace that it does look ridiculous to a world that doesn't understand the heart of God. All right, that's who we are. So let's, uh, let's jump into, uh, continue this Sermon on the Mount, uh, the study on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for those of you that this is your first time joining with us, let me, let me recap just a little bit with you. I really think that when Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, his overall subject matter is, this is what a healthy relationship with God looks like. That if you're going to take your relationship with God seriously, this is how you do it. These are the steps to do it. This is what it looks like. This is how it plays out. All right. Jesus teaches this Sermon on the Mount in a very typical Hebrew way. He, he gives you the whole teaching right up front. And so what you find in the beginning is what's called the Beatitudes. Jesus is giving you the whole teaching. This is what a healthy relationship with God looks like. And it results in a life that's empowered to do great things. And that's why he concludes his opening. He's right up to the Beatitudes. You're going to find that Jesus tells his disciples, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That when you take your relationship with God seriously, God is going to not just give you a blessed life where things are kind of convenient and, and, and you have just have so many good coincidences in life that you're like, what a blessing. No, it's actually, Jesus concludes, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. It's the kind of thing that you are making such a difference in this world. Satan will come at you. You're going to experience persecution. And Jesus says, that's a good thing. It's not good that you're being persecuted. It's good that you're making a difference in this world. And you're making a difference for God. That's what he's getting at here. And so now Jesus begins to unpack it fully. He's gotten past the Beatitudes to what it's going to result in in being salt and light. And this is what we covered in last week. When Jesus starts, 
He's going to say, okay, let me, let me open this up for you. When, when you're going to take your relationship with God seriously, the first thing you've got to understand is what the law is about. And Jesus comes in there and he says, look, um, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You've only seen one half of the law. You've only seen one side. You see it as a, rule, a bunch of rules and regulations. It's so much more than that. The law on one side, it's meant to frustrate you so that you recognize you need a savior. But once you meet the savior, once you meet Jesus and you, you've been redeemed and you, you step past the doorway of grace, you've, you've come through the cross, the law doesn't go away. But if those laws aren't meant to frustrate you anymore. Now those laws are meant for your good. They're meant to, to push you in your discipleship. They're meant to, um, to, to make you a success. They're, me- they're, they're, they're to, to create you where your life does have influence, where you actually do become salt and light. So verse 1 through 16 in the Sermon on the Mount, it's his introduction. It's the, it's the Beatitudes. He's showing us the whole thing. Verse 17, he talks about um, the law. Um, that's also interesting. You know, as Jesus says... Uh, as he's, as he's talking about the law, Jesus spent so much of his ministry correcting legalism. You know, you had the Pharisees and the, and the, and, um, the, the Sadducees. They, were, they, they had come up with so many different rules. And, what, and they even created rules to keep you from getting close to breaking the rules. And Jesus comes and says, man, you've missed the heart of God. He's correcting legalism. It's so interesting that the guy who corrects legalism in his day begins a healthy relationship with your relationship with the law. And he, he, says, like, he said, look, not, not one iota, not one dot is going to pass away until everything is, is fulfilled. That, that even the smallest, most seemingly insignificant part of God's law, it's still important. Uh, don't, don't take that for granted. Don't assume that God's great love, which is greater than the rules that you've broken, the laws that you've broken, it's greater than sin. Don't assume that because of God's great love that now you can just uh, dismiss what's in the law. And some people will do that. They'll say that because of what Jesus does that we don't, we don't even really need to pay attention to what's in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus would not amen that kind of thinking. All right? So Jesus begins with the law. He wants us to see that the laws are more than just a set of rules and regulation, that the law is actually an illustration of the character of God. That's why it never goes away, because it's God's character. And he says in verse 17, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it's accomplished. See, Jesus understands the law in its fullness. Jesus sees both sides of the law. Jesus sees that the law, it's meant to frustrate you so that you recognize you need a a savior, that you'll become poor in spirit, that you'll recognize you do not have what it takes to have a healthy relationship with God. And you come to God poor. Jesus sees that. And now I want you to see the other part of it, that these are these laws aren't just meant to lead you to the savior. They're meant to lead you to success. All right. If all you see when you look at the commands of God are rules and regulations then you have missed the heart of God. That's what Jesus comes. He says, I've come to fulfill it. I want you to see the heart of God. If, 
If all you see are rules to be followed where you just respond to God on the surface, then you've missed it. God always deals with us at the heart level. So now Jesus takes us beyond a surface level understanding of the law and he shows us a deeper look at the character of God. So let's look at how Jesus shows us the character of God in the law and by inviting you to look beyond the surface, beyond the rules and regulations and see a deeper principle. So let's start. Matthew 5, 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Look, if all you see here are rules, some, some of your translations have the word raka in it. If, if you say to your, your brother raka, if you're trying to determine what word you're going to use to call somebody um, something negative, and you're like, well, do I, do I call them fool? Oh, I mean, maybe, is, is idiot okay? Can I call him a moron? My daughter came up to me this morning and says, Daddy, what does idiotic mean? You know, what, what word is okay for me to use? I don't want to go to hell. But that guy's really dumb. If all you see here are rules, you are missing the, your heart of God here. Because it's far deeper than rules and word choices. What Jesus is teaching here is that if you want to walk in the character of God, then you're to be a person that does not live by anger or by demeaning. I mean, if you've got the New International Version or the King James, your text uses the word raka. Uh, English Standard Version uses the word insult. Raka was a term that literally meant a person was empty in the head. It was it was an insult. It's basically a demeaning phrase. All right. You just you just don't have anything going on up there. It's it's demeaning. Calling someone a fool is a word that demeans. It's personal. One of the lessons that that we all need to learn. um, That if you want to be a leader or a good communicator, you never make it personal. Look, look, whenever you say something that's demeaning or hateful, you need to understand that once you say it, you cannot take it back. Um, uh, and it's, it's now public domain. The character of God is one that does not live by anger and does not live by demeaning other people. And if you're serious about exhibiting the character of God in your life, then, then Jesus says, stop being so proud of yourself because, um, because you just didn't murder anybody. Like, like, you did not let your road rage kill somebody this week. Bravo. Jesus says, stop being so proud of yourself for that. If, but if you've held anger in your heart, this is the same thing in God's eyes. Jesus says, have you, he, he would ask the question, have you ever been angry with your brother? You ever held a grudge? You ever refused to forgive? If you have, then you've committed murder in your heart. Now, he's not saying that it's wrong to be angry. Jesus got angry. Ephesians 4 says that um, in your anger, do not sin. The anger is is an emotion that that God created. It's not altogether bad. He's not saying that it's wrong to be angry. There is such a thing as righteous anger. 
But righteous anger, that's not yours and my problem, is it? Most of our anger is not righteous. Most of us, when we don't get our way or we don't get the credit or we don't get to be first, then, then anger sets in. And there's a lot of us who are just angry people. Some people have been angry for so long, they've forgotten what made them mad in the first place. But they're just always mad now. And, and everything makes them mad. Look, if you're serious about having the character of God in your life, then you need to come to the place when you realize that the character of God asks more of you than simply refraining from stabbing somebody. Right? <clears throat> You've got to come to the place where you understand that the character of God, the, the law, it calls you to live a life that is not based on anger and it does not demean others. There are times to be angry. I mean, God's judgment and God's anger is swift and mighty, and it, but it's always followed by redemption and forgiveness. And that's who we need to be. Jesus goes on, verse 23. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. What's Jesus teaching here? Basically, he's saying that your offerings and sacrifice are not nearly as important as seeking to reconcile and to build relationships. Relationships trump service and offerings. I've known a lot of people through the years who think that their giving of money or their giving of their time, that that somehow um, earns them the right to be ugly with people. Jesus would say, no, relationship trumps service. They think that because of what they give, then that gives them an excuse to be shallow, to not grow in loving God and to not grow in loving others. Thank you for giving your time. All right. I would say thank you for that. That's uh, that is important. Thank you for giving your money. Thank you for giving your skills. The kingdom of God is able to move forward because of the gifts of people. But regardless of how much you give, it never makes it okay to treat other people poorly, to hold a grudge, to, to refuse forgiveness. In the end, relationship trumps service. Because that's the character of God. Jesus says, don't go in the temple and offer your big gift. While, somebody, while you've got a problem with somebody else, go get that relationship set right. Then offer your gift. And what happens is, when you, when, you, when you have right relationships with people because of your right relationship with God, then your gift of time, your gift of skill, your gift of money becomes empowered. And it makes a much bigger difference than it would otherwise. And I know that not every relationship can be fixed. Not everyone is going to respond positively to you trying to make things right. Some things are just not in your power to fix. I mean, I've done and said some things in life that I wish I could go back and change. And I bet you too have too. There are some things you just can't fix. But what you can do is to the best of your ability, make it right on your end. And, and here's what we all need to learn. That God is serious about us loving our neighbors as ourselves. 
God is so serious about this that um, that when we don't take it serious, it impacts our relationship with him and relationship trumps service. But when relationship is healthy, then time, talent, money you give that becomes empowered. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, you heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you. That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Yeah, I remember the first time I read this passage. I was not raised in a Christian home. Um, I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 17, my senior year in high school. And so I, I just started taking my relationship with God seriously. I think I had been reading the Bible for about a month. I had a friend in high school. It's spring break. He says, hey, why don't you go snow skiing with my family? I said, that sounds fun. Let's go. Went snow skiing with his family. Uh, they got us in this nice resort. And it, your first time snow skiing is usually involves a lot of Falling and wrecking and you know, y'all remember the uh, worldwide was the wide world of sports and the guy tumbling. I I I, I relate, you know. Um, so after a tough day on the slopes, uh, we went down to the hot tub to kind of ease our sore joints and muscles. And so I'm down there with my friend Troy, and um, down comes into the hot tub about four or five good-looking girls. And they were in bikinis. I'd never been around girls in bikinis in a hot tub. It was, I'm not going to go into detail about what my 17-year-old eyes and brain was doing and thinking. But afterwards, I go back up to my room and I said, all right, God, we spent time together. And I open up and guess what passage And I tell you, I sat there on the edge of my bed going, oh, my God, what am I? I mean, I was really thinking, like, am I supposed to stab out one of my eyeballs? (laughs) Listen, Jesus is not literally wanting you to mutilate your bodies. All right. There's plenty of scriptures that tell us that's that's not what God wants us to do. He's speaking figuratively here, not literally. All right. Jesus Jesus teaches us that he's the vine. He teaches us that he's the door. He's speaking figuratively. Jesus isn't literally a vine. He's not literally a door, right? So the same, same applies here. So what is he teaching here? What's the deeper principle? He's teaching that the character of God is not driven by appetites and addictions. This is much deeper than just sex. Uh, lust takes more forms than just sex. Uh, we understand lust for another person, which is wrong. But, but some of you, you lust after money. Some of you lust after being validated. And you'll do anything to get people to like you. Some of you, your lust is to always win. And you've always got to be on top. You've always got to be the one that gets the credit. All right? Um, there's a lot of things in this world that you can lust after and commit adultery over that have nothing to do with sex. When you look at the character of God, 
you see that God is not driven by appetites and addictions. Are you the person who in the end, what defines you is your lust? What defines you are, is your addictions? What defines you is your habits? All of us in one way or the other, we, we tend to be controlled by our appetites. And like a junkie, we keep running back to our drug of choice. Maybe your drug's food. Maybe it's recognition. Maybe it's anger. But if you're going to take serious relationship with God, to walk in the character of God, it means that you're not controlled by your base appetites. I mean, it's not wrong to want those things. But at your core level, those things are not what drive you. And those things are not what define you. And what, what, what's supposed to drive you and define you is who he is and who he's called you to be. Verse 31, Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery here. Now, what's what's the deeper teaching here? I mean, let me ask you this. Could this teaching hold meaning for somebody who is not married yet? Of course it does. You've got to see beyond the surface. And listen, all right? Because I know in our congregation, we have many who have gone through the pains of divorce. All right? Some of you, I know some of your stories. You know, a, a successful marriage really takes three. That's why the scripture says a, uh, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And you, you had to suffer through one person quitting. All right. And, and I grieve that for you. But hear God's grace in the midst of this. Listen, this is much deep, much deeper than just marriage. Um, on the deeper level, what Jesus is teaching is that relationships that God has ordained should be treated as sacred. And look, the marriage relationship, it's ordained by God, but it's not the only one. There's father, son. Mother, daughter. Teacher and student. Boss and employee, teammate and teammate. To walk in the character of God means that you consider the relationships that you have as though God has ordained them to be so. And therefore, you treat them lovingly and sacredly. Look, when you see a friendship as sacred, it's a little bit harder to hold a grudge. When you see a friendship as sacred, you give a little more mercy. And we all know that not every relationship comes to a good end. Not every relationship in my life has come to a good end. And there's a lot of moments that I wish I could go back and do over. But the reality for all of us is that, that we have constant relationship problems. We're going to have constant relationship problems until we begin to take our relationships as sacred and holy. And when you do, it slows down that sharp tongue. And it slows down that quick response. It makes you more considerate. It heightens sensitivity. So that's the character of God. Is that we see our relationships. Both the marriage relationship and other relationships. As sacred. What Jesus teaches in verse 33. He says again. You've heard. That it was said to those of old. You shall not swear falsely. But shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, 
either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, he's not saying that taking or saying an oath is going to damn you. The deeper principle here is that if you really want the character of God in your life, then your yes needs to be a yes and your no, a no. In other words, the character of God is a character that speaks, lives, and tells truth. The problem for most of us is we've got levels of truth. We've got partial truths. We've got white lies. We spin the facts. We leave out details. But if you're serious about having the character of God, then you need to be the kind of person that when you, that when people hear you speak, when they see you live, that there's, that there's no difference between, well, I said it, I promised it, and I swore it. That all of those are the same. Yeah, growing up, my dad, whenever he would want me to really trust him, he would say, I swear on my mother's Bible. All right? He loved his mom. She read her Bible. I mean, he didn't, but... You know, so if he's going to swear, he swears on the Bible that it gets read. You know, trust me, I swear on my mother's Bible. Problem with that was that he said so many other things. He had made so many other promises that were empty. That just because now you're saying you, you're, you're swearing on your mother's Bible, that it just it made it empty. There need not be any difference in you presenting the truth or promise plainly. Or as many people would say, on a stack of Bibles. Though, you know, well, how many is in that stack? Four? Fifteen? What? Oh, fifteen. He's telling the truth. No. Whether there's a Bible for you to put your hand on or not, your yes needs to be a yes, your no needs to be a no, your promises need to be solid. That's the character of God. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You know, back in that day, a Roman soldier had the right to ask a civilian to carry his, equi his equipment for one mile. Jesus says that when they ask you for that, why not volunteer a second mile as, as a way of testimony? Uh, Jesus is teaching a deeper principle here. The deeper teaching is that grace rather than equality should be your driving force. Grace rather than equality should guide your core. Look, everybody wants equality. Everybody in the world wants things to be fair. The problem is, everybody's got a different idea of what fair and equality is. The character of God, however, places a higher, has a higher value than equality. And that's grace. And by the way, when, when, when we pursue equality, we rarely achieve it. Because equality is a, is a byproduct, not a cause. Jesus says the driving force of your life should not be equality. The driving force should be grace. Jesus says give grace. Go the second mile. 
Turn the other cheek. Give more than what was asked. When that soldier asks you to carry his pack for one mile, he just expects you to do it. When you offer to carry it that second mile, and now he says, this is different. What is this? You try to witness to him after going just one mile, he's not interested in a word you got to say. You're just doing your due diligence. But you go that extra mile, now he's going to sit there and say, what's, what's different about this person? Why is this person giving me more to it? And now you've got an extra mile to walk with them. You've got about 10, 15 minutes, depending on your pace, to speak the truth of the gospel to them, to tell them about the God who loves them. And it resonates deeper with them. When grace guides you, you're thinking like God. When equality guides you, you're thinking like the rest of the world. Look at verse 43. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is teaching that selfish exclusiveness is not God's character. I mean, I know a lot of people that they, they glory in. They enjoy in setting themselves above and apart from people. What drives them is to show themselves that they're better than others. But that's not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is not to always look for ways to separate myself from others, but rather to look for ways to connect and to love. And when that happens, when that actually happens, you actually do set yourself apart. When you live like that, you will be lifted up. When you live like that, you're being salt and light. So what drives you? Is your goal in life to set yourself in above and apart from others? Or is your goal to connect and to love? Look, the character of God is not to separate and be set apart. Look, the holy God of you, the universe, all right? Holy means he's separate. He so loved the world that he gave his own son. In Philippians chapter 2, it tells us to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The story of the gospel The story of God is that this holy, separate, other God so loved us that he came, became one of us. He was God with us, Emmanuel, so that he could connect and give his love to us. That's the greatest story that's ever been told. That's the character of God. Then Jesus summarizes his teaching on the law. And in verse 48... He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Like he's not teaching that that you have to or that you even could be perfect in and of your own self, by your own strength and by your own merit. He's not teaching that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The law of God was not given as rules that you're supposed to keep on the surface. The law is given so that you can know the heart of God. So that you can know the character of God. 
and in knowing that to become like him. That's God's goal in giving us the law. God wants each of us to come to a place where you do what is right, not because there's some rule hanging over you, that if I don't do this, I'm going to miss heaven. No, he wants you to be able to, to move beyond doing what is right because you have to. He even wants you to move beyond doing what is right because you believe it. He wants you to get to the point where you're doing what is right because that's just who you are. You think Jesus did what was right because that was the rules? Who he was. It wasn't a stretch for him to love people. It wasn't a stretch for him to obey his father. It wasn't a stretch for him to have faith in the midst of hardships and difficulties. It's who he was. God wants you and I to be like him. You take your relationship with God seriously. And eventually you begin to do what is right. Because that's just who you are. Doesn't happen. As a result of a one time decision. It starts there. Day by day. Decision by decision. God molds your character. You become more like him. Look it's a. After 15 years of marriage. It's not a choice. Do I love my wife? Just part of who I am. That's how God's going to make it for you. Right? It's not, it's not a choice. It's not a. Uh, um, hey. Somebody's in need. Do I serve them or do I serve me? Little by little it becomes. You know what? Because of Christ I serve them. And I know God's going to take care of me. That's God's plan for you. That's what Jesus is teaching here. So what about you? I'm sure we're all getting to feel the reality that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not a one of us has done the law the way God wants it to be done. We've all missed it. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him, trust in him, follow him, will not perish. Shall have everlasting life. Because of Jesus, redemption is real. Second chances aren't just a, a nice thought. It's a, it's a possibility in front of you. What about you? What do you got to do today to begin to walk in the character of God? Maybe there's a sin that you need to repent of. Yep. God loves you more than that law that you're breaking. But it's not good for you. And you need to walk away. Maybe there's a grudge you need to quit holding on to. Maybe there's forgiveness you need to extend. Maybe. Maybe you just need to rest. In the fact that. God loves you. And God can redeem. Your present circumstance. Maybe your day is to maybe your maybe your step today is to say, you know what? I need to go beyond rules and regulations. I need to pursue God's character in my life. It's not about doing just enough. 
about becoming like him. What do you got to do today? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what Jesus teaches us. And God, there's been many places here where I can't help but feel the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Because I know that even myself, I've fallen short. Thank you that your son Jesus humbled himself, became like us. That in him, (coughs) he became our sin, that we might become your righteousness, God. We did not deserve that. Thank you, God, that because of you and your love, and your steadfastness in bringing about your will in our lives, that second, third, fourth, fifth chances are there. We don't deserve that either, God. But I recognize they come from you. God, I pray for your people here. I pray that you would speak to them, that you would give them personal direction that they can walk in, that they can grow in. And that as a result of having looked at what your son has taught, that each of them can become more like him. Father God, give us courage. Give us resolve to follow through in what you're leading us to do. And Father, if there be one here today who does not know the saving grace given only by your son Jesus, you'd speak to their heart right now. That you'd awaken them to their need for a savior and that they would respond to you. Father, give them courage enough um, to even just come visit with me and I can tell them what your word says about how a sinful human being like us can be saved. Father, in these moments... May we hear from you and respond. Pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.